Bonsoir, dear friends. Bienvenue. The end of August. You're having an amazing summer, I know. I'm having even a better summer than you do because I've been spending time with an amazing, talented young lady. She's absolutely incredible. This is why she's on our show. She is a brain in every way you can imagine. She was trained in France. She's totally bilingual. And she did all her education at Harvard. She's a doctor and a doctor and a doctor. <laughs> and we thought she would be an amazing candidate because obviously we live right now epidemics. We live all kinds of very unique events in our life. And we've been living that for centuries. We never enough speak about it, but now... It's on the forefront of our life. She has a doctorate degree in computational epidemiology. Remember, I'm a Frenchman, hard to say in French. <laughs> She's now running the show at one of my favorite uh, medical center in Northern California, which is uh, obviously UCSF. So very, very famous uh, hospital and research center and educational uh, network. So we delighted. She loves wine and <laughs> she has so much to tell us. And she's bicultural as well. So can you imagine? She has it all. <laughs> Yulin, welcome. Yulin Schwen. Bonjour. Bonjour. Comment ça va, Yulin? Ah, très bien. Oh là 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 là. So dear friends, do you agree? And I want you on your chat to do the clapping and the thumbs up and the lips. Isn't she gorgeous? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're can, you, can you believe if we'd be at university together, I would change my curriculum. I would go to the medical school. Not that I would be accepted, but I would be in the library to hand you the books. Mm, thank you. Thank you very much. I would absolutely be thrilled. With, with a glass of wine on top of it, right? That, that's well, great. let's let's have a toast. Cheers. Chin chin. Cheers. Santé. Chin. So, Yulin, before even we move to Harvard and the medical world, yes. From your background, I'm going to go right into my world of France. What attracts you to the French culture? Oh. And uh, you, you got a degree in a French school. I mean, this is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I did my time there at Aix-Marseille um, in uh, a field of behavioral economics. And it's really trying to understand uh, behaviors and trying to shift behaviors, you know, based on either different forms of like messaging and framing. Um, and so in particular, um, because... I'm an epidemiologist, we deal with a lot of public health interventions. And so, you know, how can we kind of, again, be able to relay messages to the public where they are going to then adopt, you know, those messages and turn them into behaviors? And what's the best way to kind of frame it in order for people to adopt them more readily? Um, wow. France, about France, I mean, honestly, and I'm not just saying this, you can ask anyone. I mean, I just think, France is the best number one in everything. I mean, you have the best food, you have the best so cheese, wine, fashion. I'm trying to think. Um, the wine came number three. 
So you like food more than wine? Well, I would say the it's fashion to hurt is my feelings. Probably, and probably jewelry is probably number one. I think you're the best at jewelry. Um, see your Cartier watch, is it a tank? <laughs> That's right. Yes, I did like it. so far. It's yes, beautiful. it is. Yeah, classic tank. Um, so that's number one, probably. And then it would say, I would say fashion, you know, you, the haute couture is just remarkable. It's invented there. Um, I think your food is phenomenal all the way from, like I said, the, the cheese, the bread, the meat, just your agricultural processes, I think are phenomenal. Wow. Um, wine, you know, you guys are the best in wine. Although I shouldn't say that I should bite my tongue. I guess I'm in, you know, it's California. I should be careful now, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think the women are really beautiful. <laughs> oh, well. good. Wow. Honest, I do. Um, oh, you know, art. Oh, phenomenal artists, artists. That would pro that probably, probably number one, I would say art, if I was going to pick any of them. Well, you know, talking just, about your beautiful jewelry on your index finger, you have the beautiful tiger ring of Cartier. <laughs> I You're do. about the Voltaire. This is it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, the panther. This was for well, their uh, 10th anniversary of, of the panther. Right. I love it. Why don't you bring it closer? Because there's two versions, dear friends, of the Panther. The solid one or the one multidimensional. That this is the multidimensional one. Yeah. I this love it. One. This was the, uh, it's like geometric patterning um, to it. So it's hollow inside. Um, and I'm so sorry that I don't know the designer. I should know the designer. You should always know the designer's name. Um, but I love it. It's a little, it's a little modern. Um, again, um, it's a little fresh. So I really like it. I, I love this ring. So, yeah. I, well, I love Cartier. I, I love Cartier. I say it's terrible. I mean, that's all we're going to talk about now. I'm going to talk about <laughs> computational epidemiology, but I could talk about, you know, jewelry all night long. So, well, but this is great to have, uh, as you do, of course, besides beauty and charm, both sides of the brain, the creative and, you know, the scientific. So on that note, mm -hmm. as you got my heart a little broken because you name wine third, I'm going to ask you to describe <laughs> <laughs> number 21 so what do you think of this one i do i think it's beautiful to be honest um you know i'm not i don't i don't want to by any means say i'm a wine connoisseur i'm not actually that well versed in wine but what from what i can taste i think it's absolutely excellent honestly so what does it make you feel if you had to medically describe the reaction as a professor that it does to your body what would you say it does Oh, well, I mean, the first reaction is it's bubbly, to be honest with you, not the best probably descriptor, but that's going to make me just feel a little bit medically lightheaded, a little bit probably like fancy and free. You know, I always think of, you know, when you have champagne, I always think of you're in a Cartier or Chanel, you know, and they always serve you champagne. You know, that's, that's the type of, you know, um, at least thoughts that come to mind know is, is that, that bubbly aspect I think wine has a lot of you know just like it is with jewelry or even fashion there's a lot of emotion to it and there's a lot of stories behind it and you know usually that's paired with an event of some sort so whenever I drink kind of the bubblies that's what it always reminds me of you know so what would be your favorite outfit if you go to your garderobe <laughs> and we're going to have bubbles together. What oh, would you wear? Oh. Besides the beautiful outfit you have now. Oh my goodness. Well, this is Dries. I love Dries. I, Dries, Dries Van Noten is one of my favorite designers, but yep. absolutely um, is Tom Ford Gucci era. Absolutely and utterly. Yeah. But mm. it's a little, I couldn't wear that. It's a little risque to be perfectly honest with oh, you. Oh, would be shocked. <laughs> so, 
So I was like a, a little bit, a little bit more appropriate to be dressed in Drees, but uh, no, that's, that's, that would be my outfit of choice, especially with this. Well, and and yeah. for some of you who don't know Drees Van Hutten, great uh, Belgium, uh, yeah. uh, you know, designer and who really similar to McQueen maximizes the blend of different fabrics. Oh, I, I love that. I mean, again, I love that, you know, I think his, his patterns and his fabrics are just stunning. He, he takes a lot from, from India in terms of their dyeing techniques. Um, and he has a lot of, you know, factories that are there and it's just beautiful embroidery and he's heavy into beading and printing. And I love that. It took me, um, it took me, it took me uh, years though to probably appreciate it more so, you know? Yeah. Well, great taste in jewelry <laughs> and fashion, I could tell. So, Yulene, why don't you define for us what is the field <laughs> of computational epidemiology? And you define it for us and tell us what it's all about. And, and then we dive into this subject that is so fascinating to the world today. Never yeah. been so much on the center front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so computational epidemiology is really just a combination of like, you know, mathematics, computer science, public health, um, geographic information systems to better understand disease trajectories and, you know, pathways. Uh, and so, you know, in particular for something like, you know, COVID-19 is really understanding the areas that are going to be more of risk as well as you know, the factors that are going to contribute to an increase in risk or an increase in, you know, disease. And so it's just using kind of a combination of all those techniques to figure out where and, you know, when the disease is going to hit and who it might hit. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. And how did you get interested in this subject? <laughs> this is, yeah, you know, I know in medical school, to become a professor, you study all the trends of infectious disease and throughout the last probably 2000 years or more, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a unique field. I mean, it's trendy now because yeah. we're centered on it. Um, but it, it, it didn't used to be probably as, as trendy as it was probably now. I mean, now it's, you know, it's the, it's, it's the height of it. I think people actually know what I do and it's, you know, I think it used to be where uh, I joke with my friends and it's like where fun used to go to die, you know, where, you know, as epidemiologists we're always saying no all the time <laughs> so yeah. so we're telling people not to do something um the interest in it really you know i was always interested in health um but you know more on the population level like understanding why you know things worked the way they were and why you know certain populations had different health outcomes than, than others and i really didn't under i, I didn't I, I didn't understand what that was this the, you know what that would be and it turned out it was epidemiology that's what it was it was about population health um and then you know the more refinement of going into you know computational epidemiology was really you know when i was at harvard i i saw a talk by you know one of my advisors um professor john brownstein he's at you know, Harvard Medical School right now still and was my mentor, you know, throughout my uh, doctorate. Um, but he did this fantastic, like amazing, like incredible presentation on, you know, using computer science methods and using this unconventional data to predict, you know, disease outbreaks. And I was blown away by it and, you know, spoke to him about, 
what he was doing and, you know, you know, one thing led to another and ended up, you know, working, you know, in his lab and, you know, then start to slowly refine my way in, into that field. Um, so it was really, it's, you know, it was really about, you know, meeting someone who was working in it and seeing the work that they did that really inspired me. And what fascinates you about this field and why should we, all of us, start <laughs> to be interested in it besides, you know, living the effect of it? So, uh, interestingly enough of, you know, please stop me if I tend to ramble about it, but so even though like, you know, right now everyone is focused on infectious disease, including myself, because the COVID-19 is yes. you know, so much a part of our lives, but <clears throat> my field really is in understanding, you know, the social determinants of health. So really understanding, you know, social context and the environment and networks and relationships and social norms and how that shapes people's, you know, behaviors and ultimately their health. Um, and so what my research is really now focusing on is, is more of the, you know, better understanding, you know, of, I call it the like uncomfortable truths, which is, you know, how, how people, you know, are thinking or feeling or behaving about a certain type of topic and how that and then ultimately translates into, you know, behaviors. Um, and so what I do now is, is really try to capture information from online social networks and unconventional and underground sources, you know, mm. all the way from like Facebook to Twitter to Reddit. Um, back in the day, it was Silk Road to just understand, you know, what people are actually thinking and discussing. And I feel that that really, you know, our online world is our offline world, you know, and so you can really understand what people's deep down thoughts are on, you know, certain, like I said, beliefs or practices. And um, I think that translates into offline world behaviors. Wow. So I, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is your question, which I've totally forgotten now, so I'm sorry, is, um, you know, you're saying like, how, why is it interesting? Why is it really impactful? Well, it's because, you know, we interact with our digital devices all the time and our, so much of our social interactions, especially now are online, right? And yes. so that is now our environment, you know? And so it's not only what you say or what you do offline that is making a difference, but what you do online that is really making a difference. It's a ripple effect, right? Yes. And so you really, I think, you know, people really need to understand that that's one kind of takeaway from it. And we all have to be accountable for those things, but also that you can glean a lot of just information about people that, um, you know, they would never ever say or do offline, but they do online. And I think that gets to the truth of the matter as to what are people, you know, really thinking and feeling, and then ultimately what people are doing. So, what other trends do you see that <laughs> you can obviously share that we should know about? Not um, the confidential one that obviously should be. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I mean, drugs and drinking are back in style. I think they always were, but you know, more more than ever. I mean, that's probably. A given, um, but you know that's 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 definitely something that's probably appeared more, you know, during during the pandemic. Um, you know, it's fascinating how how much people are open about you know the illegal behaviors and activities that they do. I'm trying to think, so those those online norms are predictive of you know what is actually happening in the real world. I think um, 
you know, I think it's general, just social trends, social trends around social justice, you know, discussions there, but also then the antithesis of that, right, which is, you know, racist and sexist beliefs also are spreading online as well um, and are very present in our world, you know, so I think there is, you know, a, you know, a very strong dichotomy that's out there um, in terms of differential views. <laughs> but that's another story. That's another topic. That's another topic on hand. Well, you know, you, you, you know everything about hashtags. So how are they shaping public opinions today? Yeah. Um, so, you know, hashtags, hashtags are, you know, like the equivalent of, uh, oh, so sorry, I can't get that now. Um, but um, here's a hashtag coming in. No, I know it's a hashtag. Someone, someone, someone coming in at the door. Um, no, um, hashtags are like the equivalent, I think, now of like the bumper sticker kind of on your car. Like it associates yes. you with a group, right? And an identity. Uh, and, you know, it serves as this type of categorical like function um, and it allows messages to travel and people are able to find it, maximize, maximizes reach and so forth. And so they're an important avenue for spreading information. And so, mm -hmm. you know, either tagging a hashtag means that you're part of a group or even being able to find information um, through hashtags, uh, you know, has become a, a method of, of being able to be associated with group or again, being able to find information readily. So uh, hashtags are just obviously important to use for from a, from a business perspective, but also from a social perspective as well. You know, if you want to be associated with a group or you want to find information, they're there. Um, so mm -hmm. they're an important part of, you know, also how at least our research finds information as well. So now, as we're going to hashtag with wine now. Now we're going to hashtag with wine. Let's hashtag with foreverness. <laughs> so oh now we, we're trying a very unique chardonnay that's okay. never been really presented on the show the one and only but you love jewelry so we figured emerald oh i love emerald. the world i love emeralds <laughs> and it's all about foreverness and in our case here not only chardonnay but napa valley so ah, beautiful fits very well your outfit and your hopefully your fashion sense <laughs> thank you uh, everybody could see it. Can you believe we partnered with Swarovski here? And on every bottle by hand, we actually apply that unique piece, as you can see the profile of it, embossed of this amazing stone for a Napa Valley Chardonnay. So this is meant to be the eternal love to stone the earth and jewelry. So cheers on this one. Cheers. And I need your, your opinion on this one. I want to listen from what you smell to what you sense to how it makes you feel. Mm. Ooh. Is it caressing your body the right way? Is it bringing you a foreverness style that that's the one you want to find forever? No, it's, it's beautiful. I'm not just saying that either. Um, I taste, you know, almost feels like nectar, almost. Um, like I said, whenever I, whenever I have wine, for some reason, it's with wine. Like when I picture myself drinking this, I do picture myself in the south of France, probably in a field, 
a beautiful field of lavender. I love lavender. Um, yeah, and uh, how does it make me feel? I mean, when it, you know, when it touches my tongue, I feel as though it, it's almost, it's almost like, again, it's almost, it's almost nectary. It's almost like, like I bits of honey, I feel, you know, sparkle. So we all want to be the bees on your tongue, attracting <laughs> the honeys. Yes. I'm talking for Dylan's perspective. <laughs> Hi, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, you know, the, the mental, mental health in general and what you call digital phenotyping mm -hmm. and all this trend that we're seeing, how it's impacting minds. Because I drink a lot of wine, so I became saner thanks <laughs> to wine. It brings me down to all those, you know, social activities that everybody do and, and right. all that. But as a professor of medicine, tell us your version of that. So in terms of so digital phenotype, that was a term that was dubbed by, again, my advisor, Professor John Brownstein, as well as uh, Jared Hawkins, who are both at Harvard Medical School. Um, and it's this idea around how, like I said, you know, we are interacting with our digital devices 24-7. And so what ends up happening is we leave this type of, you know, digital footprint, you know, and so accumulation of those kind of data points, whether it be, like I said, searches on Google or your Fitbit, you can gather information kind of about your health. And so in one of the studies that I did, um, I'll cite it, Schwen et al, 2019, <laughs> is really about how you can really determine someone's, you know, potentially mental health by how they are tweeting, you know? So in terms of what times of the day, what words, what sentiment, what emotions they're tweeting and seeing how it fluctuates throughout the day compared to either a control population or compared to your norm, right? So uh, you can determine, you know, someone's kind of state of mental activity you know, based on, again, their digital profile. And one of those profiles can be obviously Twitter. Uh, the second point of kind of your question about, you know, the, the mental aspect of everything that we're kind of going through right now. Yes. Um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a difficult time. It's a very difficult time. It's very mentally, um, it's very mentally draining, but also I think, you know, the fact that we don't in, in other, in other, you know, pandemics and, or in other, maybe not necessarily pandemics, but in other moments of crises, you're able to combine together with others. But in, in this situation, you know, we're not able to, and, you know, we understand social connections are very important for, for mental health. And so that becomes a little bit more difficult. And even though we have technology, you know, even us, you know, face-to-face -face or, or technology face-to-face, -face, it's not the same as, you know, having that one-on-one -on -one human connection in person, right? Like you said, the touch of a woman, well, <laughs> very important in, in more than one context, you know, a hug from a friend, uh, you know, a touch from a significant other or family member, those are all really important. So I'm, I, I can understand why there's a lot of mental anguish that is currently out there, plus of everything else that's going on, stress, economically, fear and so forth. But I do think there's a, a lack of a social component um, that, that humans need to have in order to survive. 
what else would you say, uh, Yulin, we may have learned in the process from your medical um, you know, background, of course, yourself as a professor, and what have you learned and what advice you have for all of us? Oh my goodness. Uh, I know it's a biggie, but I know you spend a lot of time on this topic, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's very classic. I think we don't think about it enough, but, you know, what you think, you know, and how you feel and what you believe really translates into what you do and the actions that perpetuate. And so your mind, it's, it's just so important for you to have knowledge, you know, and information, but also how you're thinking about certain ideas um, and the importance of that and how that actually impacts yourself, but also the world that every person really is a part of something bigger yes and that it has this ripple effect and so just knowing that that even your small thoughts that you have on a daily basis you might not think it does you know it you're not making any actions of it but it does you know it yes. does in some format and it does have a ripple effect and it affects someone and affects the environment so i think that's what i've probably learned more so um and then always I think from a scientific point of view is, you know, always just the continuation of learning and mm -hmm. the, but, but, but Critical. aspect of like, in terms of really the depth of learning, like do your research, you know, you know, learn more about, you know, we, again, this is, this is based on everything that I've known in terms of obviously doing research degrees and everything and so forth. Um, but we take information so readily, right? In terms of, you know, we hear, we hear a quote or we hear a, a, a tidbit of information, you know, go beyond that and do, do your research, read up on the topic, go in depthly into it and learn more about it. You know, have, 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 those, have those, you know, deep conversations with yourself and with others to learn more about it, you know? So just don't take kind of, a flutter of information that comes in from every direction, right? Social media, that's right. Everywhere, it's just it's just something that I think is important. Like, trust me, I'm no fun at parties because I literally am sitting and will type out things and then go and read it, you know, five textbooks about it later on to, to cross check all the references and so, you know, so that you just know, you know, you know that the information um, that's coming to you has depth to it. That's all. Mm -hmm. That's important. Where do you see, in terms of more epidemiology, uh, some trends that you could maybe share? I mean, many people say, okay, COVID-19 is one, but there's more coming. There's other issues we're facing around the world. And a lot of, you know, books have been written on the fact that the 21st century will be all about that again for many decades. So... Yeah. So what That's do I think? Question. I think so it's it's been a shift actually. So even though COVID-19 has been you know front and center, I actually think it's more around social justice. Um, that is, I think, the next huge wave. If not, it's now. You know, that all we've I think what the one of the biggest lessons that we've learned from COVID-19, right? And you know, yeah. a lot of people have known it for years, researchers like you know, David Williams and so forth. 
another one of my advisors, but has, you know, talks again about the social determinants of health, right? The environment and the social disparities within our society that mimic social, dis you know, disparities in health, right? Is that, you know, the world is inequitable. And so health has become inequitable, right? And so we're, we're seeing now that health isn't just genetic or biological, right? We're seeing it's, it's, it's made up of so many other factors, right? And a lot of them were socially determined by, you know, history and structures and systems that we had, you know, at least I personally or you personally maybe didn't have a, a decision in. Um, and so I'm, I see the field now is that is that is the primary focus is how can we start to shift those structures and shift those systems, you know? So the National Institute of Health in the U.S huge focuses on, you know, structural racism, you know, systemic racism, social and societal forces. I think that's, epidemiology has, has now really shifted towards a social justice lens, even in the, you know, the medical fields and everything in terms of healthcare and how we treat patients is, is more encompassing about the, the social dimension. Yes. You ask me where the future is, that is where the future is, you know. I think we are as a society evolving you know, socially versus, you know, biologically. And one of those things is becoming more accepting, more understanding, more environmentally conscious. Um, but that's huge. That's in every discussion now, which I think is really remarkable. You know, I think that is the future. Well, I'm so glad you're touching on it. And you're the prime example, of course, as a very successful lady <laughs> in your field and encouraging diversity. I mean, why is it so important to you to want to increase this uh, diversity, not only in the workforce, in leadership, in women, in gender, in religion, and all that, as I, as I serve. <laughs> as you serve this, yeah. Because I know this is the main evolution, which I'm so glad to hear, rather than hearing, oh, we're going to have another COVID-25 now, well, I mean 22 I mean, I think it's going to last for a while. So that's not like, I, I do believe that. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I, I think you caught me on a good day or maybe it's the one that I'm positive today. <laughs> you know, um, trust me that we have, we have some dark days as epidemiologists, trust me. So, so today's well, a good sure. day. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> so um, that's why we need wine. That's why it's a twist off. It's easy to open. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. You can add. Poor Jennifer, I was out just beforehand. I, I bought like a, I don't even think I have a corkscrew in my house. And she was like, it's okay. <laughs> but we don't want you to hurt yourself with those tools. You know, you probably know the scalpel better. In terms of diversity. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. It doesn't just have to span obviously in like the, the medical realm, but in all realms, including, you know, television, film and in fiction and nonfiction, you know, I think you need different perspectives to get a different narrative. And yeah. right, is that the issue is when you have one vantage point that you've only seen, you know, and you're only seeing it in one experiential viewpoint, you know, you're never gonna get the entire picture. Right? That's right. You're gonna see the other side, right? So even with stories, like, you know, I was even discussing it with my friend the other, today actually, but. I grew up on James Bond films. I love them. I adore them, but they're pretty sexist, right? And so those narratives, right, are and, and they're fantasies, right? They're they're fiction. They're fantasies. But they're fantasies from a male perspective, right? And the women are beautiful. And trust me, the French women, Bridget Bardot, beautiful. 
Absolutely. I've always wanted to look like Bridget Bordeaux, you know? Um, well, you, you are the, the same version with black hair. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, Sophia Loren was my favorite, but she's Italian, right? So, <laughs> um, but, you know, grew up on those styles, but, you know, that, that's, that is, you know, in the stories that we, you know, you grew up with, even the Disney ones, right? They're from a certain perspective, right? And that's right. It, it was, in ideal um that was from a male perspective you know potentially a white male perspective and and so you know and, and especially how film influences and dictates social norms as well and trends you know people grow up believing that that's how you know society should be and so we need to have different narratives and stories absolutely in order to generate again you know a better understanding of like the, the world, right? Um, so in that context, in terms of science, you know, that's kind of an easy one, but you know, you need, you know, one of the things is for instance, and I'll, I'll pour this one in just a second, so I apologize, but is um, like even for, for instance, like when you have medical practices and, and you have, let's say in diversity in, in terms of blacks and whites, right? In, you know, their medical textbooks, for instance, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the patients are white. Um, and so in terms of the skin coloring, if there are textbooks that are, you know, defining a rash, for instance, as a certain type of coloring, it's usually based on white skin. That's and right. So if you, you know, are a black person and you go to a doctor, and they see like a, they 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 see it like maybe something on their skin, but they can't they they haven't seen that as a problem because their their reference point is a rash on a white person, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And so they don't diagnose that as bad, hence why they get late stage diagnoses um, because you know to them they they've never seen that type of condition, right? Whereas again, if you have you know patients that are involved that are you know of of color, but you also have you know, physicians or researchers that are of color, they understand that, you know, potentially that rash is, it's actually a rash. There's actually something wrong with their skin. They're seeing something different, you know? And so, because they have a better understanding of, you know, their own bodies and, you know, their own ailments that are occurring um, and their perspectives. And so you can integrate that into research, you know, and same thing with females, you know, our hormones and everything. There was, what's incredible is, you know, it's like 80 or 90% of, you know, studies um, on, you know, on rats, for instance, you know, used to be all male. And so they never used to study what it would be like for a female rat to, you know, take medication and for the, Fascinating. you know, to, to, and, and what type of side effects would occur because the hormonal differences, right. But nobody thought of those things, right. Because male rats were, e they were easier to work with because they didn't have a lot of problems. It makes Right from from a scientific point of view, okay, well, male rats, but no one thought, oh, well, female rats might actually react differently. Therefore, females might react differently. And so, again, that kind of diversity, both in terms of the level of, you know, patients, but also in terms of leadership, to better understand, because you have you have that understanding, um, because you're you're living that experience. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> not only as people within the hospital, the workforce, or the world in general, but all the testing. All right. the scientific research, we, we, we certainly known as diversity oriented. Right, exactly. You know, lots of studies in general are, and obviously there's a history of medical racism and so forth. So that's why populations of color are not, um, 
as trusting in the medical system and want to participate. But, you know, even in research today, you know, we have huge issues around recruitment where it's primarily, you know, uh, very homogeneous population, you know, both in terms of age, socioeconomic status, sex. And so you're only really studying one population and how they react to certain interventions or certain diseases, but you need more diversity to better understand how it actually impacts, not just on, like I said, the biological level, but the social conditions people are living in that actually impact their overall health and well-being. I love it. You're really opening to us a, <laughs> a whole different area of diversity that we maybe don't think about. Mm -hmm. You know, and as you can see behind me, we have our good friend, John Legend, who is very involved in that as one of our partners. And, uh, and uh, we see it one way, but you're really showing us another way. In wine, we yeah. believe in diversity. We are bubble, white, rosé, red. Any color is a point of research for us. <laughs> so, now let's go to red, the, the, the red wine now, Yulene. Because we want you to answer the big question of what inspires you. Oof. Besides uh, jewelry, fashion. <laughs> yeah, now, now, I mean. Social oh trends. Oh the my brain. <laughs> um. Ooh. Ooh, this is smooth, isn't it? What do you think of that? Deep. I'm going to try more of it. Very passionate, great for the question. What inspires, right? Well, look at that, foreverness with a ruby this time. Because oh. we like every stone. We're very diverse in our diverse approach. In the, in the stones as well. Mm. This is really suave. Mm. We're having quite the tete-a-tete, Yulene. It's too bad that we're hundreds of miles apart. I know, look at this color, I love it. It is like a beautiful ruby. Hmm? Oh, what else do you feel when the wine touches your tongue? Oh, this is much a more passionate wine. You know, this is, this is, this is, I, I, I was wrong. Probably in the beginning, I said that was Gucci. I would say this is more Gucci, Gucci Tom Ford, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could use Dolce too. Oh, we could Maybe use yeah. Dolce. And we could, little, absolutely. And little we yeah, yeah, that is true. Absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, very passionate. A lot of depth. Um, I taste probably again cranberries. I see this like as a, this is a lounge type, you know, like a club room type of vibe. Ooh. I like that, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe even, I haven't done leopard in a really long time, but maybe even leopard print. <laughs> Just like why haven't, you, why haven't you done leopard in a long time? You know, my I, doctor I, showing up in leopard would be very nice. Yeah, I just I, I haven't done. I just I just don't think I've done leopard in a while. I have I have I have a dolce in the closet that's leopard. I love it. I just haven't done a while. I think it's I think it's just it just hasn't made it just hasn't made an appearance in the last while. Probably the pandemic. Probably that's it. You know, where am I going to go in like a leopard print Dolce, Dolce dress, although I lounge around the house in them sometimes. I could see you in tiger too. Tiger? Tiger and tiger. I don't think I have any tiger. I don't have any tiger. I'm trying to think if I have any tiger. I don't have any tiger print. Except a ring. Except, well, this is, a pan, pan, yeah, panther, but that's leopard. Panthers, yeah. panthers, did you know, that's a panther. Panthers are black leopards. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because I collect. 
<laughs> and panther, real, real ones when you come to our wineries. Yeah. Specifically in the room you would want to see, which is the red room at Raymond, we have real taxidermy leopard. Oh my panther, goodness. And yeah. we even have a lion. Oh Wait, and you live in California? How do you do? How do you well, do? you know, we hide it from the from the people who don't like that. <laughs> um, so tell me, as the last few questions, what inspires you? Because yeah, I cannot see you really in the bathtub reading about textbook and maybe epidemiology. Yeah, oh, is it what you do? Yeah. I can see you more reading fashion magazines. No, 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 no. I mean, I read, I read research articles all night long. So, I mean, that's what I do majority of the time. I don't think I, I, fashion magazines, I don't think I, I used to, but, you know, unfortunately I haven't done magazines in a super long time, but uh, inspires me. I feel like it's very classic, but it's so true is obviously my mother. I mean, she's so, she's so graceful, you know, and she's, I, she inspires me because of just her composure and everything she does, you know? Um, is she a know, doctor as well? She is not. No, she is not a doctor. She was into fashion. Um, but it's just more the case of, I think, just being a, it, being a female um, that is, you know, grew up in her generation to be so strong mm -hmm. and so powerful but also having an elegance to you. I think that's a difficult, it's a difficult balance to have. And then raising me for goodness sake, I mean, that wasn't, <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness, you know? No, well, just... when I look at your awards and honors since being a child, because I have the whole list, I think <laughs> dear friends, just for you to know, there's like three pages of <laughs> honors and awards. So <laughs> I think you were an easy child. You were winning everything. Yeah, thank you. No, no, no. She was an excellent, she was, she was absolutely excellent. Like in terms of, you know, my entire life, I don't think she ever, I've never, I've never once heard my mother ever raise her voice in, 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 in her entire life. And, you know, that's, that's, that's remarkable. Cause I'm telling you, I, I, that is, that is, that is not me. <laughs> that is not me. So, so I can tell you that's a remarkable feat, you know, <laughs> to have. So she's incredible. Yeah. Well, now, as maybe a personal question before oh. the big question. Oh, my goodness. Is, what is uh, your dream, uh, Dr. Yulin? Yes. What is my dream? That's it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, okay, so I'll give you, oh, man, uh, to be selfish and a little egotistical, you know, is, uh, is, is probably immortality. <laughs> You know, that's the dream, but more out of like in terms of the scientific sense, you know, I want to generate a paradigm shift in the world. And so that really means, you know, shifting knowledge in some capacity where you make a discovery where it changes everything, you know, yeah. for instance. Like Marie Curie. Yeah, yes, like Marie Curie or, you know, finding out the world was round instead of flat. You know, there's just a paradigm shift, understanding the world in a different way. You know, and I, 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 I want to contribute to that, but also egotistically, you know, I want to be immortal for that, for that reason. Um, I do, I think- Very honest, that's great. Yeah. That's a fabulous yeah. dream. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my dream. Think other things like in terms of the, probably the more artistic creative side. I, I, I'd, like, I'd love to write a fictional novel or screenplay. I love stories. It's probably what would it be about if you did it? 
you know, probably, probably something around like social, social evolution, but in an, in a fictional format. You know how the, the love story, a passionate story. Yeah, absolutely. There always has to be love story. story. There has to always be a love story. There always has to be a love story. I'm a sucker for love stories. Of course, there has to be a love story. But the love story can't have like a fully happy ending, though. It has to be a realistic ending. You know, and, and I think you know it's it's like you know all the all the best stories you know are are melancholy. You know, they're not they're not like supremely they're not rom coms. There has to be some. There has to be sadness in it, you know. There's not. It's there's. It can't. It can't end in all, you know, sunshine and lollipops. There's got to be. There's got to be some form of tragedy that happens in that way, you know. There's got to be that kind of trajectory. But instead of it, you know, like a rom com coming out with a bang, it's 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 got to have some. It doesn't have to be it. Like I said, it doesn't have to be it a horrible ending by any means, but I think it has to be a realistic one. And I think the world is prepared for that now. We're seeing that more in stories and film that sometimes things do not end, sometimes things don't end happily, but that's okay too, right? The world moves on and you leave a footprint behind and it's okay, you know? So we'll see, but I do like the, I do like the idea of always, I do believe in, I, I believe in soulmates and so forth, um, but that doesn't always have to be they don't always necessarily always have to be together, you know. I love it. I cannot wait. <laughs> the story is written. <laughs> now, Dr. Yulene, professor, I should say, professor, yeah. um, what is your big message to the world? It's our last few mm -hmm. minutes together. Well, just via the Zoom, of course, we'll see each other. I hope very soon at the winery, you'll come and see us in Napa Valley. Yeah. Oh, what is my What message? would be your big message to all of us all around the world? Because luckily tonight and over the next months, uh, many people will be very inspired by you because this was so much fun spending the last 45 minutes together. And we learned so much and you gave us such a different perspective on, on what we talk about typically because you brought a subject that we've never brought up on the show, which makes it so special. So... What's your message to all of us here at the end of August, 2021? 2021. Um, I'll give you two, because I'm greedy. <laughs> we want more than one. One, I think the classic one is read more. I think reading is super important, like mm -hmm. learn more. So, but you know, read textbooks, read, just read. Don't watch, you know, or even listen, read, actually read. Reading is important. Um, I love that. You know. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I'm not a big TV watcher. <laughs> even though we have a lot of friends in the movie world and who produce great television shows and all that, but I'm with you, reading is the key. Yeah. So thanks Something for this. about the written word, you know, the written word is important, it's powerful, right? The pen is mightier than the sword. So read in order for you to write more you know, and to be able to say more and to be able to have greater action. I, I do think that's important. The pen is mightier than the sword. I like that's, 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 I know it's cliche, but it's true. It is very true. The good cliche. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is make, uh, make new friends and outside of your network. You know, don't be caught up in the silos that we've generated in our world, you know, Every algorithm on the planet has made us just 
you know, be connected to the same people, to buy the same things, um, to do the same things. But try to think about going beyond that. You know, talk to someone new every day. You know, it's COVID, but we're, when we're wearing masks, we have to social distance. But try to gain a new perspective. Try to talk to someone new. Try to cultivate a new relationship. That's what's really important now, I think. And that's, that's what I really think is going to, oh, it sounds so cheesy, but it is going to be. I love it. That is, reading. Reading. And is the is better than the sword. <laughs> and you gave us so much of an amazing perspective on the world, uh, Professor. Thank you. <laughs> you know, this is exciting and congratulations. Thank I you. really want to commend you for all what you've done in such a short period of time and being such an inspiration, bring such a, a new perspective as well on diversity. We have a diversity committee that is made of a lot of ambassadors who promote our wines. Wow. And we keep it at one level, of course, which is racial differences, mm -hmm. religious differences, gender, um, and all the practices we wish from freedom of speech to action, to LGBT, to anything else but we never really looked at it in the way of testing and medical research and, and all what you've talked about, which was fascinating as well. And, and finally, what a field you're in. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And I would like you, if you can, mm -hmm. one day to come and visit. Oh, I would adore that. I would adore it. And yeah. to all your patients prescribe a lot more wine because yeah. that's the solution. The solution to everything. Well, you will share, you, hopefully you always share a glass of wine and good health with someone, right? That's exactly. Important. So on that note, I'm going your way. Here we go. Chin, chin. Cheers.